Uh, so often in the Bible, um, we don't get to see people's journeys um, from beginning to end. Um, so often in the Bible, we'll, we'll read a story and we get kind of just like one glimpse into one moment or one encounter of one person with Jesus. And this morning is, is one of those stories. And so um, let me preface the story that we're going to be in like this. We're going to be reading about this man. And, and what you need to know is that this, like we're reading about the lowest moment of this guy's life the absolute lowest point of his life. And we don't know a lot about this guy. Like we don't know about how he grew up. Like we don't know about his childhood. Like we don't know what his favorite sport to play was as a kid. We don't know what instrument he took lessons in growing up as. We don't know what his family life was like. We don't know what he did for fun. We don't know what his community did on Friday nights. We don't know what he did as a career. And we don't even know what happens to this guy after this story. Jesus, in all of his goodness, he gives us this one look into this one guy's life and it happens to be at the lowest point of his journey. And I wanna start this morning by just kind of reading the first kind of half of Mark chapter five, uh, this text that we're gonna be in. And I just invite you to listen. I know sometimes it's hard to listen when you read 10 verses, but I invite you to do whatever you need to do just to, to be here. If you need to read along or listen, let's let these words soak in and wash over us. So they, this is Jesus and his disciples, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of Jesus. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, do not torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And so kind of the first movement of this text, the first thing that I want you to think about this morning, the thing that I want us to talk about is just kind of the sadness of the situation. What do you think about the sadness of the situation? So I know that there are a lot of questions and a lot of weird and confusing things. And if there aren't weird and confusing things in here to you, then we need to have a talk after this because there are just some, some strange stuff going on in this story. And before we kind of dig into it, in more detail, I want the sadness of this guy's situation to like sink into our hearts. I want you to, to feel it, I want you to think about it. So here's this man and we don't even know his name, but what we do know is that his community, his family, his friends, maybe even his church, they either didn't know what to do with him or they just didn't wanna deal with him. The picture of this guy's life is that he has been discarded He's been distanced, he's been given up on. And it kind of hit me this week, one of the things that kind of has changed my perspective about um, having children is like that this guy was a human being, like that he was just like us in a lot of ways. Like had a mom, had a dad, like he was a baby that was born into this world. 
He was someone's older brother. He was someone's college roommate. He was someone's quarterback on their flag football team. And we don't know what happened to, to lead this guy to be in this situation, but we do see the sadness of what his life was like. It says that this guy lived in the tombs. And I want you to think about this. Like he, his home, it wasn't in like some really cool trendy neighborhood in Nashville. And he didn't have like a comfy bed and like a comfy couch and a comfy recliner and a big screen TV to come home to after a long day. The picture of this guy's life is that he lived in a tent in a cemetery. The idea is that the only time that people would come to see this guy was to chain him. And so you think about this, like every time he saw people, as he like kind of lived in isolation, is every time someone would get off the boat and step onto the place that he was living, into the cemetery where he was living, every time he saw someone, it just became more clear to this guy that, that no one wanted him, that he didn't belong. You know, I was kind of thinking about the way that, that, that we do life. It's like um, the way that we interact with our friends and our families, like no one ever showed up to this guy's like living place with a pizza for mafiosas. His coworkers didn't like bring him a sonic drink during happy hour. Every time someone showed up, they were afraid of him. And the reason they showed up was to make sure that he stayed away. The picture that we get in Mark chapter five is that he spent his nights, he spent his days crying, suffering, cutting himself. And I was reading this story this week and I don't believe that Jesus has chosen to give us this story just so we can think about what life was like for this guy. I do believe that he's given it to us for that reason, but I also believe that he's given us this story so that we can identify with this guy. So that you and I can find ourselves in his story. And so the obvious question that you need to ask me is, Brandon, what are you talking about? Have you lost it? Like, I do not identify with this guy. You know, this is not one of those stories that it's like easy to connect with, it's easy to relate to, so I can't go to you. Hey, like Burton, remember that time you were 13 and you were growing up in Alabama and because your family wanted nothing to do with you, they like sent you to the cemetery and they kept coming back to you over and over again and chaining you down. Like, do you remember that from your past? It's like, it's not one of those stories, right? We don't see ourselves in this story. We don't naturally connect with this story. And I think we miss a big piece of this story and why it is given to us when this is just some random story about some crazy dude. You see, I think Jesus invites us to find ourselves in this story. And, and here's how I, I believe this happens for a lot of us. Earlier in this week, one of, the guy, one of my coworkers, he and I were kind of looking at this text together and processing it and kind of figuring out how to teach it this week. And we just were kind of noticing the ambiguity in the text. The just kind of, the kind of confusion over like, okay, so this guy has an impure spirit. When is he talking? And when's the impure spirit talking? Is it only like, is it one of these situations where only the impure spirit talks, where, where this guy's like, he no longer has the ability to think or speak? Is he just completely overcome by the spirit? I noticed in this that Jesus asked the man a question and the unclean spirit answers. And I just read this and I go, man, I'm confused about this. Like what's going on here? And I was thinking, you know, maybe we're not just like this guy. Maybe we don't live in a cemetery. Maybe our families and friends haven't chained us and separated us and sent us away somewhere. But we do know what it's like to experience what he was experiencing. 
And maybe you don't have a language for it. But each of us knows what it's like for thoughts to pass through our heads. Each of us knows what it's like for us to think things and to do things and to look back in hindsight. We just have this realization that, wait, that wasn't me. Like, that wasn't from me. That's not thoughts or actions that are from my heart. Have you ever noticed this in your life where the feeling of influence of something else in your life, a feeling of influence in your life that is destructive? We have this reality that, that it's not you, it's not from your heart, but it's most definitely in you. It's not wanted, but it's most certainly there. I go, we know what it's like to have something in our life that is influencing us that is not good and it's not right. I was driving down the road the other day, just kind of letting you in on my life. And I just had this incredibly just like envious and jealous thoughts of one of my coworkers. Just found myself like just being so just overwhelmed with like with jealous of their situation and their life and what they do. And I just found myself driving down the road, overwhelmed with jealousy. And I just had one of those moments where I realized, wait, that is... Not for me, like there's, like my coworker, like I would do anything for them. Where did that thought, where did that feeling come from? Like we've been in a good place, like our friendship is in a great place. Where in the world did, did that thought come from? Where I think about, to kind of take you in a little bit deeper, I remember a couple years ago having a conversation with a friend and I remember them, I don't think I'll ever forget this. They, they looked at me and they said, Brandon, I, I just don't want to live anymore. And no one would care if I was gone. No one would miss me. Life would be better for everyone if I wasn't here. And I don't know if you've ever had language for it or, or thought about it like this, but I go, man, that is not from you. That is destructive. That's oppressive. There is something inside of us that oppresses us, that lies to us, that leads us to live lives of isolation. And it's the enemy's work. It's him that is hiding. And so often the, these forces, these influences, they are most certainly in you, but it's not of you. And I was thinking about how so often we're not able to separate because the enemy hides and schemes. All throughout the Bible, different people try to give language to what it is that we experience as human beings. And so in Romans, like they'll refer to it as our old self that Another place in Romans, it is referred to as sin reigning in our mortal body. It's evil desires. Other people in the Bible will call it our flesh. And I go, maybe we're not living in a cemetery chain, but every one of us feel and experience the power and the influence of the enemy. You see, I don't think we're given this story so that we look at this and we go, well, dang, I've got an impure spirit inside of me. Like, and I don't think we're given this story so that we become paranoid about what our lives are going to become. And I don't think we're given this story so that we become fearful. I think Jesus and all of his goodness and his deep love for us to actually know him, he gives this to us so that like, we can see what's going on inside of our own hearts, inside of our own lives. It's like Jesus is shining this spotlight to help us see the influences of Satan to help him see, to help us see the way that he works 
and distorts and blinds our thinking. This man says, don't torture me. Jesus shows up in this guy's situation and he says, don't torture me. And I go, only the enemy could do that. Like, could you think about a more torturous situation than the life that this guy was living? And the enemy has so confused and distorted his thinking that, that he has convinced him that Jesus has come to torture him when in fact his life is about torture. And I go, that is the way that the enemy works in us. That he speaks all these lies and all these traps about who God is and what he has come to do. And I think Jesus shows up to shine the light so that we can understand the realness of the influence of the enemy in our lives. The second kind of movement in the text, and this is a really clever second point, the word I have written down is just Jesus. Like, so the second kind of movement in this text is Jesus. Look, look with me in verse nine. So Jesus asked the man, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And listen to this, the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, listen to this, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. Notice the, the kind of spectacle of the pigs. What's going on here with the pigs? I've read this story many times before. And it's like, is Jesus just like trying to get on PETA's like hate list? Like, does he like animal cruelty act? Like, what's he going on here? Like, it's strange. It's weird. And yet I think Jesus is doing something really significant here. You see, I believe that Jesus is wanting to give this man something in his story. I think he's wanting to give this man something in his life that he can forever look back on. I think he wants to give this guy a picture so that he'll never forget. You think about this sight. I've never seen 2,000 pigs together before. And I've most certainly never seen 2,000 pigs run off a hillside and drown before. Have any of you? Like, and I just kept thinking this week, this man would never forget this. He would never, ever forget this moment. I think Jesus gives this story to him so that he can see the power and the realness of it. So that he understands that wit, that which was influencing him wasn't just a figment of his imagination. I believe that Jesus gives this to him so that he'll always remember that in the water, that which depressed him was put to death. That which had power over him, 
that which had led to his separation, that which had cut him off and distanced him from everyone else was forever dead in the water. That which was in him was no longer part of him because one who was stronger has shown up. And in the water, Jesus put it to death. In the water, it was done. I love the detail that we're given in verse 15 that the man was dressed. And we can kind of imply that before this, he wasn't dressed. And I think this is so beautiful because it's not that Jesus just, just drove out. Jesus clothed him. And we read that and we go, okay, so what? Jesus gave him some blue jeans and a t-shirt? No, it's so much more than, than like physical clothing. You see, all throughout the Bible, this theme of clothing is a metaphor for God's grace. All throughout the Bible, when you, you hear about clothing, when you hear about covering, it's a metaphor for Jesus Christ, forgiveness. You see, we see this in the very first story, the very first humans, the very first married couple, Adam and Eve, that, that when they sinned, you can go home and read this today in Genesis chapter three, they sinned and they hid because they were scared of God, just like all of us do, right? When we sin and we understand who God is, we, we try to hide and so we don't confess, we don't let people in, we, we do this thing where we isolate and we, and we separate ourselves. And in Genesis chapter three, God comes looking for his people and do you know what he does in Genesis chapter three when his people are standing in front of him full of sin? He clothes them. He doesn't destroy them. He doesn't drive them away. He covers them. Not just with clothes, but with his grace. Fast forward to, to, fast forward to the New Testament. and This is what Jesus, this is what God does with all of us through Jesus. That he literally, he clothes us. He, he covers us in, in Christ. That he forgives us and washes over us and he doesn't destroy us because of our sin. He, he clothes us with this forgiveness, his grace. And as I was reading this text this week, I've never noticed this before, but I just kept thinking about baptism. If you're not um, familiar with what baptism is, it's not really a word that's talked, out, talked about much kind of outside of like when the church gathers or when the people of God are gathered. So baptism, technically speaking, is simply like going underwater. It's being in a tub or a pool or a lake or a pond or the ocean. And when one person goes under the water and then they come back up, that's the most technical way I can speak of baptism, you see. But, but baptism is so much more than something technical. It's more than a bath. It's more than a swim. It's where someone has a willingness to come to Jesus just as they are. Not as they wish they were, not as they hope to be, but just as they are with all their sin, all the oppression of the enemy, with all their places of shame and separation, just like this guy. He came to Jesus just as he was. And it was in the water where Jesus put to death the influence of the enemy. It's where Jesus buried that which stands over us. Our sin and the power of darkness and it's after putting to death of the influence of the enemy, of our sin, of our shame that Jesus clothes us. And I love 
Galatians chapter three, verse 27, where it says, for all of us who are baptized into Christ, we have clothed ourselves with Christ. And so what this means is that when you and I, when, when we see in God, this one who has come in the person Jesus to save us, to forgive us, to love us, when we see in God his love, his pursuit of our hearts, and we go, God, I wanna spend the rest of my life walking with you, and we have the courage to come to God just as we are, we have the courage to go down into the water, to let him put to death the influences of the enemy and our sin, our shame, and when he pulls us back up out of the water. The things that are true of Christ from that moment forward are true of us. And so this is where we started back in Mark chapter one when Jesus was baptized and he came out of the water. The heavens are opened and you know what the Father speaks audibly so that Jesus and John the Baptist and all the crowds could hear. Do you know what the Father says literally from heaven? He says, you are my, who am I? With you I'm well, you're my son. The one I love. With you I am well pleased. It's like when, when we step into this life with God, the things that are true of Christ become true of us. It's like, Chris, when you got baptized, you are a son of God. Those words are spoken over you. Don, last Easter, those words are spoken over you. Logan, but it's like when, when we stepped into this life with God, Kevin, like Craig, every single one of us here, like when we become followers of Jesus, the things that are true of Christ become true of us, that we are our sons, we belong, we are dearly loved. It's not that the things that the Father says of us are true. It's not just that. It's that what the Father does with Jesus, the Father also does with us. And so I love the text that, that Andrew read this morning, Romans chapter six. Do you realize that Jesus Christ died, but the most powerful thing about Jesus Christ is that, that death couldn't keep him dead? So he came back from the grave? He's still alive? Jesus died, but he came back to life. He is still alive. And the thing that the Father did with Jesus is the thing that he'll do with us. So that those of us who are clothed in Christ, we will one day die. But there's hope on the other side of death because just as the Father raised Jesus, he too will raise us. And you can bank your life on it. If he did it for the son, he'll do it for his sons and daughters. I was thinking about as a follower of Jesus, you know, one of the, the questions, I didn't think one of the ways that the enemy continues to lie to us, it's, it's not that the influences go away. So you're sitting here this morning, you're going, well, dang it, I still have like jealous thoughts or lustful thoughts, or there still seem like times where, where my old self or those influences, it seems like they overpower me and I give in. You see, it's not that, that they, 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 they still remain. It's just when Jesus comes, they don't have control anymore. When Jesus shows up, they're no longer the strongest one in the boxing ring of our hearts. That Jesus Christ, the much stronger, the much wiser man is in the ring. He's sitting on the throne of our hearts. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 essentially says that, that when we decide to follow Jesus, that every time we're tempted, he is near and he speaks and he opens up ways out of the temptation for us. You see, it's not that the temptation goes away, it's that the one who is wiser than the enemy is sitting in our hearts, guiding us. Thinking about my life, uh, you know, when I realized that, that I wanted God, like 
when I wanted his presence, when I wanted his forgiveness, when I realized that I, I wanted it, but I needed it. That my life is, is about him and his glory and making his name great. When I realized that, I, I stepped into this life by faith into baptism. And if you look at my, my life, if you kind of got into my heart, if you got into kind of my inner, like if you like, spent time with me, you would know that I am by no means flawless in how I live. I'm not even close to flawless. But one of the things that I can tell you is that I've seen God put to death things in my life that used to just control me. Things that used to own me. And when Jesus Christ showed up and sat in the throne of my heart, it's like those things lost their power, their grip, their hold over me. Think about this. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, I want you to, to write this down. And I want you to think about this week. What are some of the things that God has delivered you from? What are the things that, that used to just have their way in your life? Think about the person you were 15 years ago before you started walking with Christ. I go, man, I was this like, boy who just, who lied all the time. I lied and lied and lied and lied. I was this man who was just full of, of arrogance and, and lust and my mouth, my language was incredibly vulgar. And I look at my life and I go, man, God has like put to death things in me that used to just own me. And it's not that the temptations have disappeared. It's not that the influence isn't there. It's that they are no longer in control. I love the third kind of movement of this text, the kind of last piece in verse 18, the instructions that, that Jesus gives this guy. So it says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him. But he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell on the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And the people were amazed. It's the word of God from Mark 5. I love that Jesus tells this man to go home. To go home. Go back to your family. Go back to your friends. Go back to your community. And tell them how much God's done for you. Go home. Go home. And I just imagine the way that this played out. Like, I want you to, to let your mind go here for a minute. The, the way that, that this played out in his life, the, that, that Jesus told him to go home. And what did the man do? He went home. And he began to tell people. And I was just imagining, what did that conversation look like? So, like, he went home and he's like, he was sitting at Frothy Monkey. Or he was working out at the Y or he was camping with his buddies and you can just hear him telling the story of what, ha what happened on that day. It started because of Jesus. There I was just doing the same old things I did every day. And I saw Jesus. I recognized Jesus. And he stepped out of the boat with some other men and he stepped onto my place. He came to me. And you wanna know the first thing that I noticed about Jesus? He was the first one that, that stepped on this island. He was the first person that, that showed up and didn't have a chain with him. 
And Jesus, because he showed up, I got to step out from under the influence. I experienced this freedom, this release from this power and control that stood over me, that owned me. And because of Jesus, I'm living life again. I thought my life was gonna be like secluded. I thought that my life was gonna end living in isolation, sitting in this place. I never dreamed. I never dreamed that, that my life could be restored. Well, how did it happen? And you can just picture him saying, Jesus. And his friends, what do you mean? What did you do? I just saw him and I ran to him. And what did Jesus do? He told the spirits to leave and to go into pigs. And the next thing I noticed, the pigs are dead floating in the water. And for the first time in a long time, something is different. My mind is back. The influence is not over me like it used to. And Jesus did it. And I was thinking about how this man's story is our story. This is what Jesus has done for all of us, that he has stepped out of the metaphorical boat. He has stepped out of heaven and he has came to us. He's come to our territory. He has come to earth. And it's not that he just came here to be our buddies. He stepped out of heaven and he stepped into the cross. And Jesus died on that cross wearing our sin and he did that so that you and I could step out from under the power and the control and the influence of sin and so that we could step into his righteousness so that we could st step into a redeemed and restored life to God. A life of freedom with Christ covered in Christ forever. On Thursday morning, I was riding the train in from my home. I ride the train in every once in a while. Um, and I was sitting there, I got up there early and I just started to, to look at the railroad tracks. Never really paid attention to railroad tracks much in life. Um, you can tell I was pretty bored in that moment. And I just kept thinking about all the labor that went into laying the tracks. All the things that happened that I never saw, but that I know that happened because I'm now enjoying the, the fruit of someone else's labor. So I just want you to pay attention next time you like you go and you see a railroad track. So like as you walk out the back today, just look, notice that, that railroad tracks are on smooth, like smooth ground. And I go, man, someone either smoothed it out or worked really hard to identify the smooth ground. And then someone took these wooden beams and laid them about every two feet for miles and miles and miles. And someone made this steel these steel tracks and someone put it on their shoulders, probably a group of people, and they carried them to where the track was gonna be laid and they laid them down and someone took their sledgehammer and put the nail down there and took the sledgehammer and, and drove the nails, securing the tracks onto the wooden planks. And now I get to ride in in the morning, drinking my coffee, enjoying conversation, soaking in the beauty of spring because of what someone else did. And I go, this is a picture of Mark chapter five in our lives. 
that the freedom we have, the forgiveness we have, the salvation we have, all of these are the fruit of Jesus' labor for us. And the reason that you and I can know God and talk to God, the reason that we are given salvation is because when you and I were shackled and helpless and facing things too strong for us, Jesus Christ showed up for us. So what do we do with this story? I love that Jesus chooses to give us this glimpse into this guy's life at this point. At the lowest, at the most influenced part of his life. And I think he does this so that you and I can find ourselves in the story and we go, man, if Jesus was willing to go that far, if he had the ability to do that much in that guy's life, I'm not nearly as bad as this guy. He could do it for me too. So every week we, we take communion, we break the bread and we drink the cup and we stand and we sing and we respond to God. And if you are not a believer, if you don't follow Jesus, but if his heart has been growing in you, if your heart has been stirring for him, if you see how much he loves you, if you see how far he has come for you, if you, if you understand that you are oppressed, that, that you're living this life that feels like something is strong in you that you haven't been able to get a control of, and become his follower today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, let him bury the powers and the influences and, and the sin and let you spend the rest of your life sharing with your family and your friends and your coworkers how Jesus alone was able to do for you what no one else was able to do. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, two things, prayer and our posture. So here in a minute, as we take communion, the reality is that the enemy so often just has his way with us. And it's not a cause for us to hide and to shame. This morning, I invite you to, to, to let others speak into your life, like to open up. And as you break bread, like as you drink the cup, like open up. Where do you feel oppressed right now? Where has the enemy, enemy been lying to you? And, and lay your hands on each other's shoulders and pray for each other. And let God heal you and, and show you that he alone is stronger. Let, let people in on your life. If you didn't come with anybody and you want prayer, there'll be some men and women at the respond. And we'd love to help and pray over you. And the, so it's about prayer, but it's also about our posture. And I go, as, a, as followers of Jesus, may our posture be one of compassion and passion. May our posture be one of compassion and passion. You know, I kept thinking about the, the way that the disciples watched Jesus interact with this guy. What it would have been like to have been in the boat, to, to watch Jesus go to this guy that everyone else had written off. That everyone else said, there's no hope, there's no chance. And they watched their fearless leader go to this man and not just go to him, but set him free. And I wonder how it changed Peter, Andrew, James, and John. I wonder how it changes Lori and Aaron. I wonder how it changes Ryan and Kelly. I wonder how it changes us, the way that, that we see Jesus work. May we be people of compassion. As followers of Jesus, may we notice people. May we go to people that everyone else has written off. And will we be people that trust that Jesus can do for people, for anyone, what no one else is capable of doing. May we be people of compassion, but may we be people of passion for Christ. 
I go, may the gospel, may the reality that when we were at our worst, like when John and Megan were at their worst, God came and died. When Beck and Riley, when you were at your worst, God came and died. May we always remember how far Jesus came to save us. And may we spend the rest of our lives going home. Go home. Go home. Tell your communities. Tell your families. Tell your neighborhoods how much the Lord has done for you. May that be our story. May his sending be our sending this week. May we tell him how much the Lord has done. May we have courage and speak to those who are living in bondage that need to know there's one who is stronger. Go home. Tell him how much the Lord's done for you. Let's pray.